Hi, welcome back to Good Romance. This is your host, Rachel. This week, I was so excited to talk to Chelsea Fagan about The Idea of You um, by Robin Lee. It was so great, and I had a really interesting time talking to her, and I just want to thank her for coming on, and thank you for listening. So without further ado, here's the episode. So hi, Chelsea. So thank you so much for joining us. So tell us a little bit about you, where people may know you from. Hi, yes. Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm Chelsea Fagan. I'm a writer and the uh, founder and CEO of a company called The Financial Diet. We're a media company um, that focuses on personal finance, primarily for young women. Yeah, that's actually where I know you from, obviously. Um, um, <laughs> because like, I, I know that you do write in a variety of nonfiction-y things, but I know you from YouTube. Um, and then I saw a while ago, because I follow you on Twitter, that you were tweeting about romance. And I was like, oh, that's so exciting, because uh, I love finding out people love, you know, the same. My, they love my trash. I love their trash. It's always good stuff. <laughs> um, it's not trash! Oh, I will fully back you up on how I, it not being trash, because I have a young friend who's, like, fully 22 years old, and she's like, oh, I just love all these trashy romance novels. And I'm like, no, don't belittle yourself. It's good. But I love calling it trash in, like, the vernacular of, you know, meme culture, because I'm, I'm cultured and young. Sure. Please believe that I'm young. Um, I'm, I'm fully in my mid twenties and having a life crisis, but anywho, so I was like, oh, it'd be so great to have her on and talk about what she likes. And, um, so yeah, that's, that's how we got here. So you chose a book, the idea of you, which has had that one. I don't know if you know, Tessa Violet, the, the singer, she has a song called, I like the idea of you. And it's been in my head all week. Oh, I don't know, but I'll have to listen. But it's like, it's really good. Um, but so this, this is a kind of an age gap romance about, um, kind of a mom, and well, she's an art curator. She's a mom. She's a divorcee, um, and she's in her. Or she's not quite forty. She's thirty nine, and then forty. And she meets this um, like teen boy band pop star guy, and they have a relationship. Well, not teen. So, I think she's twenty one. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it's a teen right. targeted yeah, she's boy not band. With a teenager. Is what I meant. Like it's it's. Oh yeah, no, thank God. <laughs> but so tell me why why you love this book? Why it's your favorite? Um, you know, first of all, because I think the writing is really great. Uh, I think the author did a really excellent job. And I think, you know, the a lot of the novels that I like in this genre are, you know, as much an exploration of women's kind of psyches and cultural expectations and, you know, sort of the world that they live and move in as much as it is a love story. And I think that, oops, sorry. Uh, And I think that this one really kind of typifies that because I think that, you know, it's as much about, you know, sort of understanding who this woman is and what is expected of her and the, the, the feelings that she has living out this, obviously what is like a pretty unrealistic fantasy, but um, as much as it is about their time together. um, And I, I don't know, I, it really stuck with me. It's one that I've, I, I probably have enjoyed more than any other. Oh, I've been thinking about it a lot this week because I read it last weekend and then I've been thinking about it ever since, partially through to talk about it and partially because I do agree with you. It's great writing. And I think it's a debut, which always really mm-hmm. impresses me when I see like a really good debut from someone, even if it's not like perfect. I mean, you can't expect perfection. Totally. And it's also very frustrating because she's also like an actress and she's very beautiful and like super accomplished in her other career. And it's like enough. Oh, yeah, I fully feel that way. I was talking to a friend the other day, and I don't know if this is specifically like a Jewish American, third generation American type feeling, 
but I was like, do you ever feel like I'm 25? I should have a Nobel Prize by now. And she was just like, oh, my God, yes. <laughs> Why? Where's my Nobel? Like, what is, where's my Pulitzer? Like, there's this feeling of total inadequacy that just comes with, I think, it might just be like a, a millennial Jewish thing. But maybe it's just like a former gifted kid overachiever thing. But whenever I see like a beautiful person who's also successful, I'm like, oh, my God, stop existing, you monster. <laughs> enough, enough. Yeah, you have enough. Dayenu. Um, but like, I, I looked her up and I was like, oh my God, beautiful. Um, and I, I saw that she's also like an audiobook narrator. It's very cool. I like the, seeing the many lives of different people because I mean, obviously not everybody's a full-time writer. A lot of like, you know, really popular romance writers, even if they have like one or two books out, but one of them was like a huge hit, they can afford to write full-time, but a lot of people, you know, they live different lives. So it's kind of cool to see that. Mm-hmm. I really loved the writing. I thought it was like very polished. Like it definitely came off to me. Like this isn't the first novel she's written. It's just the first that she's had published. I really enjoyed, like, like you said, it's kind of a, it's a character study. It's, I think I would, I would classify this as more of a woman's fiction, although we will argue about genre later. Um, mm-hmm. Because like, it's really about, you know, her life and the, like the problems, you know, she and her colleagues talk a lot about how like, it really doesn't matter that they have a master's degree from Columbia because, you know, it's only really about how short their skirt is because they're, they're art, um, they're art curators and they, they sell art and to lots of rich people who want to have collections. And, you know, like it's, I mean, it's certainly, uh, you know, you talk a lot about the industry. You talk a lot about like financial fraud and like financial scams and things like that. But I found it was like, it was very much about her life and kind of a, a coming of age novel for the middle-aged woman, which I really like reading those because I think, like the glamour of women's middle age isn't really a thing we see a lot in media unless it's like a femme fatale she like like Mrs. Robinson kind of situation. Mm. Yes, I, I would I would agree with that. So it's like this overtly sexualized older woman who's like sexy because she's experienced and not because of anything about her personally. Like it's oh, she's just been having sex for 20 years and so now she's like, you know, Mrs. Robinson. It's not anything about like her life. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. And so I really liked, I liked Selene. I thought she was an interesting heroine. Um, I read a a bunch of reviews after this. People were like, oh, like, this is just a a fantasy. And I'm like, well, I mean, it is a a fictional book. But I mean, also, I'm sure that there are like French American expats who are divorced in Los Angeles. Like, I don't think it's, it's so unrealistic that I couldn't suspend my disbelief. Yeah. And I also think, I don't know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with things being a fantasy. I mean, the entire purpose of the genre in a lot of ways is escapism and, uh, you know, sort of getting to live out these experiences that are, I mean, for better or worse, not available to many people. Um, So why not have a little fun with it? Oh, I fully agree. And I think, for the most part, like, the, the kind of stuff that happens in romance, it does happen in real life. Like I love reading those stories about like, Oh, real life, like this couple, like it's, it's often like we were sweethearts in, in kindergarten and now we're married again and something like that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the time it's like, there are, there are only so many young, attractive billionaires with all their hair, you know, like it's, it's a, <laughs> it, it's kind of a diminishing return situation who like, you know, didn't get rich as like, I don't know, deforesting the Brazilian rainforest or something like, like most people's money doesn't come from like a good place. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. Like, like you, there aren't a lot of ethical billionaires out there. I would argue any, um, <laughs> it is no. kind of funny. Cause like to, to kind of go back to your, your career, like um, I started watching your channel. I think when I was like, I don't know, probably like a teenager, I don't want to make you feel old. Um, but, Not and then problem. now, 
Yeah. And I mean, back then I was like, I wasn't like a capitalist because I didn't really have like an economic philosophy as like a 20 year old or a 19 year old. And then now I'm like, oh, I am. I'm fully a socialist now. I'm like, let's tax the billionaires. Let's like, I mean, you know, I don't, I'm not like an activist. I wouldn't want, I'm not like a, a social organizer. Like that's, I'm not going to steal their valor, but I, it's interesting to like watch how my, my brain has changed over the last couple of years. Oh yeah, for sure. But I mean, I mean, even if you were just looking at it as a situation of, oh, this is a, like, she's wealthy enough to avoid, to be able to take flights whenever she wants to. She goes, you know, to exotic locations to sell art to rich people. Like, even if you take out, like, the rock star romance of it, it's a pretty, like, it's a life that not everybody gets to live. So I think it's not really, a, like, a valid criticism of the book to be like, it's unrealistic. It, it to me, just kind of seems like that's, it, there has tropes of the genre. Like, you know, if you don't like it, you don't have to read it. Exactly. Yeah, and I really liked, I really liked her relationship with her daughter. I thought there, there were a lot of things about this book that I was just like A plus, A's across the board, no problems here. I mean, my I had like a couple little issues with it, which is mostly I'm not a huge age gap person. Um, when it's like, so I have this really weird rule that I've I've created that does not apply to literally anyone, but in my own head, which is um, the high school rule. If you could have gone to high school together and you're under and you're under the age of thirty and like you're over like the, the age of consent, then it's it's probably fine. Cause like age and stage, you know, if you're over 30, God bless you live your life. Like who cares? Your, your brain is formed. You're probably good. But like, I do think of like, you know, a 21 year old with a 29 year old even, I'm like, I don't know. She's fresh out of college and he might have like a master's degree and a, like a lot of money. Ugh. So like, that's just my personal thing of it. And when I see someone who's like, I mean, obviously this does happen with men and it's horrifying. I really enjoyed the way that the author applied like the double standards, like how the ex-husband whose name I'm currently forgetting, um, just like remarried and impregnated a 30 year old. And that's like fine. Exactly. Uh, Yeah. And it's just super socially acceptable. I mean, we even like, what, what is it? Like we make fun of Elizabeth Taylor for her, like, what is it? Like seven, eight husbands. And meanwhile, Larry King was married like 10 times and had like 15 kids. (laughs) A hundred percent. So, you know, I liked that they addressed like the cultural double standard of it. My obviously the main biggest issue I had with this and spoilers for anyone who hasn't read this book. It is fairly popular, but I don't know if like the audience for this podcast will have like heard of it much, but it does not have a happy ever after ending unless there's going to be a sequel, which I have seen speculation about. But it's a it's just a, a regular like unhappy breakup situation and so what i really love about you know romances where there are these like it's not really a star-crossed lover problem but it's a it's like there are situational problems that are beyond most of their control if they have to try to figure a way around if they want to be together and i was like oh this is a really good there's some really good problems here that i'm looking forward to see how she works through and then in the end it's like we actually couldn't work through it and i he got over me it's at some point and that's and I, I had trouble getting over him, but you know, it's the past and that's it. Well, how do you feel about the ending? What, like, why, what, what, what does it like appeal? Like explain to me, like, I'm just interested in like what you think about the book in terms of like her journey and the way the romance goes. Like, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah. I mean, to go back to what you were saying earlier about the age gap, I personally, as I've gotten older, am more and more interested in stories of women getting to do things that have typically not been available to them Mm. um, or have been considered taboo for them, 
while being acceptable for men. Um, I don't obviously think it would be ideal for, you know, a near 40 year old or a 40 year old to marry an early 20 something. But I actually think there's nothing wrong with them having an affair. Um, Mm. You know, not like a cheating affair, but having, you know, a a romance. Mm. Um, I, I think, you know, in America, especially, we have a lot of very strange mores around sexuality that I don't think are helpful or fair. And I also think that for the most part, I mean, as long as we're talking about two consenting adults who are enjoying themselves, I just, I think that the baggage that we put on women about this stuff is, um, it's just not necessary. And it's also, I think, important for women to see uh, stories and representation of themselves uh, that are not, um, that are not kind of bound by those social mores. Um, so I love these stories and I think that they're, uh, that this one was particularly well-written. Um, I think that the ending that they don't end up together, I think is true uh, to what the experience would have been and should have been. I do think, I think there's nothing to say that an age gap romance can't work in the long term. However, I do think that there are just gaps that are too large and also there are times in one's life that are too disparate to to bridge that gap and I think this was an example of that and I think that the author did a very good job kind of demonstrating how that will eventually kind of show itself even if things are going well at first um you know especially with him kind of you know ultimately being quite boyish and naive and you know not being able to kind of read the room and not being able to navigate situations maturely, you know, showing up uninvited places and being, you know, acting like a rambunctious young man, um, and not someone that she would necessarily want to hitch her wagon to long term. Um, but I actually I, I mean, I, I, th- I know that there's a lot of, you know, kind of expectation within the genre that a, a romance novel sort of implies a couple ends up together. But I think that's, again, I think that's fairly silly because many of the best romances that people will experience in life are ones that don't last or can't last or you know what if the person dies or you know something changes you know I think the idea that every love story needs to end in a happily ever after in order to be worthwhile or to be something you know that people can really attach themselves to emotionally is silly personally. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I think some, as you said, some of the most like people like iconic romances, like people love the Phantom of the Opera. That's barely like that's, you know, that's that's not what anyone would call a happily ever after. Um, And I don't think that all like romance heavy stories need to have a happily ever after. It's just something that like is super contested in the genre. Um, And I know like if you're at all on romance Twitter, this fight happens like twice a week or people are like, I've just innovated a new romance where I've made it more literary. And, and now it's, it's like, I mean, you know, the cliche about like the, um, like the English professor who's like, I've written a novel about an English professor who has an affair with a student. And like, it's always, (laughs) yeah, that, that kind of thing happens a lot, but I think generally speaking, I really, the novel was just so well structured in terms of like, I kind of had a suspicion like, oh, this is not going to end well, or there's going to be a really bleak moment if it does end well. I also agree with you about like the sexual relationship thing. Like I think as long as you're a consenting adult, like sexual relationships don't need to be romantic relationships, especially um, for young women, because I see a lot of 
young women getting into long-term relationships because they want to have sex. And that's not like, I see a lot of people, especially like my age, getting married to the first boyfriend they live with. And I'm just like, oh no, honey, you are, you are too young. <laughs> like I see my, my own age getting married. I'm like, oh no, this is very bad. Do not do this. Like we have a very, as you said, like puritanical culture in the U.S., yeah, I mean, I recently, I, I really loved the movie Good Luck to You, Leo Grande, um, Grande. Uh, which is, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's um, starring Emma Thompson uh, as a recently widowed woman in her early 60s who um, hires a sex worker played by Daryl McCormick, who's obviously much, much younger, very handsome, et cetera, et cetera to sort of teach her about sexuality uh, because she'd only ever been with her husband and it was not very fulfilling. Um, mm. And it's an excellent movie. I think it has a lot of similar sort of what I love about very good romance novels. Again, like the one we're talking about is that sort of understanding of women's psychology um, and sort of a look at parts of their lives that they're not able to normally explore or express. And I think you know, you referred to this as kind of a coming of age story for a middle-aged woman or nearing middle age, um, which I think good luck to you, Leo Grande also was in the sense of like, for many women, as you say, if you are marrying, you know, the first person you date, if you're raised with all kinds of really, you know, um, repressive notions about, you know, female sexuality, chances are you might find yourself in middle age, um, you know, with about as much, you know, knowledge of yourself and knowledge of the world in that respect as a teenager would have. So in every way, it's, it, it is a coming of age. It's a, you know, becoming a different person. It's transformational and both in both stories and spoiler alert for the movie, but in both stories, obviously they, it's not as if the couple ends up together, you know, in the case of the movie, he's a sex worker. He's being hired to work with her, although they have a pretty amicable relationship and they, you know, really help each other in some ways. Um, but it's, it's about sort of getting to experience the steps on the journey towards becoming embodied and, uh, you know, whole uh, sexually that a lot of women never, ever get when they're actually quote unquote coming of age. Oh, yeah, I think, I think it's a particularly American thing, as you've said, um, that, like we have this this purity culture, which goes back really far, but it's it's partially like an American Christian thing. And and I mean, even if you're not Christian, which I'm not, and I wasn't raised, you're not immune. Like I grew up with poisonous ideas that are like from our culture about like from TV about sex, about virginity, and about like you know women as property. And I mean, especially if you read, I don't really read these anymore because I think I've just I've gotten like past the stage where it's it's interesting to me. There are a lot of these like billionaire romances where it's you know, the, it's the virgin heroine and the alpha rich hero. And like, it's, it's not really appealing to me anymore because I look at that and I see, okay, a very young woman between like 18 and 24 who is getting in a relationship with an older man, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. If like you have like similar life experiences, like for me, again, age gaps, not really about like as much the age, as long as everybody's consenting adult, it's about like life experience, age and stage so like, you know, a 35 year old and a 27 year old might have everything in common and be ready to start their lives together. But like at the same time, a 25 year old and a 24 year old might have very different, like, you know, it's all about the person. But 
I, I read these books and I see like, okay, this is the first person she's ever been with, the first relationship she's ever had. She's usually sheltered, doesn't have a lot of her own money, doesn't know a lot about birth control or sex. Usually they get pregnant immediately, which I'm side-eyeing because even like very young, healthy people takes them a while usually. And I'm just like, mm. I, I've recently been trying to avoid reading about younger people because... I just find characters who know themselves a little better, more interesting. A hundred percent. I, uh, can I curse? A hundred percent. I fucking hate those books. I can't stand them. <laughs> I, and I don't like, like the first season of Bridgerton is so like, yeah, I mean, you know, Reggae Jean Page is really, really attractive. Um, you know, we got some cool story development, I guess. Like, but I just don't want to see, the like young wide-eyed virgin with like the rakish man who's you know been with half the town and he's gonna like show her the ropes and then she's gonna like tame him into being a one-woman man and uh, I find all of that stuff exhausting and the funny thing is I would actually not mind those and why again I a I don't mind when it's you know a naive woman who's much further into her life because I do think that's a really interesting aspect of female experience that is really interesting to explore right like we talked about like the mm -hmm. the idea of a woman who has gone her whole life with a partner who is not a great lover and who has never known what she's missing or even what she likes who then has an opportunity to discover those things I think that is like very interesting and rich from a literary and a psychological and a cultural perspective. And I'm interested in hearing about that. And I'm okay if that woman is like really doe-eyed and naive and nervous and all those things, because she would be. Um, and even in the case of a younger woman who is like maybe an actual virgin and has, you know, none, none of this experience, I would actually be fine with, you know, reading about her having this experience, but not in the context of like, and now I'm going to lock this man down get married, have kids, and he's only going to love me forever and ever. Like, I would love for her to like, okay, yeah, you have like a great summer with the rake. And then you go off and like find another man, you know? Um, now, obviously for period dramas, that doesn't work because, you know, they have all the extremely strict social mores, but you still read stories like that that take place in essentially present day. Um, and I really do feel like I want, what I want to read about in the context of the the female experience, the heterosexual female experience, speaking, you know, more specifically, is this idea that women are entitled to have experiences that don't that don't necessitate forever, that don't necessitate even love necessarily, um, and that those can be also sort of like extremely valid parts of, of their experience. Oh, yeah, that's why I, I sometimes enjoy reading more, like, erotica stuff, because it's it's then less about, like, the finding the person who completes you and more about, like, finding someone who you're compatible with, who you can enjoy spending time with, who, like, can be a part of your life, maybe not forever, but certainly, like, for a meaningful time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm personally, I don't know. I mean, I'm very much of the mindset that, you know, you mentioned earlier the distinctions between genres. Um, and I, I think most of them are silly. I think a lot of them, I mean, as someone who's published a few books, um, and is in the process of publishing another one, um, Ooh. yeah, <laughs> um, I'm very aware that a lot of this just comes down to marketing and a lot of it just comes down to sort of where they're, 
you know, slotting in the author and the other books that the publisher might be doing at a given time and, you know, what the, what else has come out recently and all of that stuff. Like a lot of these things are sort of distinctions without a difference necessarily. Um, and even, you know, between something like a women's fiction and a romance novel, um, you know, I think a lot of times the fact that a romance novel is sort of hemmed in by this extremely linear narrative of you follow a couple and they live happily ever after, um, I think really does a great disservice, not just to the genre from a sort of storytelling and literary perspective, but I think it also does a huge disservice to it from like a marketing and strict like sales perspective, because it is when I, the criticisms of romance novels that I am annoyed by personally are not the ones that's like, Oh, it's like I hear people be like, Oh, it's like porn for old ladies. It's absolutely not. Uh, quite frankly, free quite me frankly, from that. <laughs> yeah. The ones that I really don't like are the ones that are, I mean, I'm just not into the ones that are really heavy on the, you know, the sex stuff because I find them sort of tedious and I'm more interested in like reading an actual story. Um, but even so, like even the ones that are, you know, I think they would have less that reputation. And I, I mean, again, I think it would be a good thing if the sort of understanding around them wasn't that it was not just catering specifically to heterosexual women, but catering to such a specifically heterosexual female um, sort of paradigm that I don't even think most women want. Like I don't like I don't really particularly know many women who are interested in this extremely like linear narrative of their sort of romantic experience. That's like I meet the right guy, I fall in love, I get married, and you know, and that's it. You know, I think most women that I know have a much more sort of winding pathway to their ultimate happiness. Or many of them are single and are not necessarily looking to settle down, or they you know don't want to have kids or whatever it might be. Um, and I do think that the genre often, you know, being gatekept by some, not all, I think some people are more interested in expanding the genre, but people who get very defensive over it has to be this very specific experience and everything else is kind of relegated to another genre, like quote unquote women's fiction, I think there's a real disservice even from a sort of publishing perspective. I do agree that a lot of it is marketing. Like, unfortunately, it's not about art all the time. Like a lot of indie published people like oh if you publish indie it's because you're here for the art and I'm like well they need to make money too like um it's it's about a lot of the time like what can they push at what time to meet what um like sales quota for their investors and like publishing very much is a business as you're aware you've you've published and I think a lot of people forget that it isn't like always about what high art is and I mean I definitely agree with you I don't like when people call it porn just because I feel like that's very like it's very dismissive of a thing that a lot of people really enjoy and brings them a lot of joy. Well, also if you're looking for porn, you kind of come to the wrong place because most romance novels are like 90% non-sexual content. It's oh, romantic. Yeah, it's story. It's, it's story. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but uh, you know, anecdotally, most of the women I know who read romance novels as a genre, what they're interested in is, the story development and the character development and really having like an investment in this couple. And, you know, they're just as interested about like, you know, uh, what if they, you know, break up or have some horrible fight or, you know, they might cry reading it. Like they're interested in, you know, the sort of 
the stakes and what's, you know, really happening between these characters. And yes, obviously sex is a part of most relationships. So that's going to be a part of the story, but it's a very inefficient way to just, you know, consume pornography if that's what you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, there are way better ways to do it these days. Like, it used to be, you know, like, for for in, like, the 80s or whatever, you had, like, the tapes that the kids passed around at school. And then I assume that there was, like, you know, black market for written erotica. I don't know. I wasn't alive. But um, these days, it's easy to find what you're looking for. There's keywords. Absolutely. (laughs) As you say, it's very inefficient. It's very inefficient. AO3 is free. You can find (laughs) pornography. Yeah, for sure. So, like, yeah. And I I agree with you that, like, limiting the genre, I I think that a lot of people love tropes because it kind of gives them an idea of what they're getting. And I I don't disagree with the idea that, like, you want to unwrap what's on the box a little bit first. Like, I like content warnings because, like, one time I was just watching an episode of Community with Mm -hmm. my family and I burst into tears and I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Um, (laughs) So, like, I like content warnings because I don't want to terrify my family. Um... But I think that, like, generally speaking, if you're trying to hem things in, like, going back to Bridgerton for a second, there was a a YouTuber whose name is currently escaping me who broke down, like, all of the Bridgerton books, like, when First Kiss was, when um, the couple gets engaged, when the couple gets married. And she was able to break it down, like, to, like, a a certain percentage pretty much every single time. Uh, To a certain percentage? Like, what? Like, at, like, 15%, the couple kisses. At, like, 25%, they're engaged or married. At, like, this point, they're in love. Like, it was astonishing to me. Because I did read the books, even though I was, like, "Mm," skeptical. Because I was, like, well, I mean, other people seem to really like them. They're not really my thing. Um, Not necessarily because I don't like historicals, which I do. But I think just the formulaicness of it for me. Like, people accuse a lot of romance of being formulaic. I don't think most of it is. But I do see in in some writers, like, I'm like, mm, this is where they hit this beat. This is where they hit that beat. They're just filling in the the romancing the beat cheat sheet, which is a, a book about writing romance. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Um, but it's basically just a how-to guide. And you're kind of supposed to do your own thing. But at a certain point, it looks as though you're filling in the outline with, like, slightly different characters. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, Maybe we should, you know, deviate a little bit and try to try to do something new and exciting. And whenever I do find something new and exciting, I'm like, oh, wonderful, amazing. Like, whenever I read especially queer historicals, I am always blown away by how amazing they are. Because they are, they are necessarily deviating from the formula because of the, the queerness of the characters and the difference in the world. But also because, like, they're going outside of, like, what you expect. And I just really enjoy that. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. But going back to the book a little bit, um, I think one of the strongest parts in the book was when you saw, like you said, the little kind of parts of their relationship where, like, he wasn't necessarily, like, able to see eye to eye with her because, like, he's so young, you know? And I think that was, like, there was really good moments to see where the relationship, like, I think ideally in a perfect world, um, their relationship would have remained entirely sexual because I think that's, like, I mean, they, they clearly did have feelings for each other. Like, he really cared for her. And, like, I loved how thoughtful he was. He showed her how she deserved to be cared for. Like, her husband wasn't as thoughtful as this 21-year-old guy who, like, she spent a couple months with one year when she was in her, like, late late 30s, early 40s. Like, that's insane. I mean, women deserve to be treated better. Yikes. But I really loved him showing her what she deserved in a man. I thought that was really amazing. But it was very, like, obvious from 
the text, although I didn't, I didn't love hearing her say like, he's very young. He'll get over it. That felt a little bit like, Ooh, Oh no. Yeah. Although I do think one of the reasons that I also really liked the book was that I like books that show a lot of shades of gray when it comes to power dynamics. And I think Mm. this book did a really interesting job um, at sort of displaying the extent to which power, I think, I think often in our culture, especially in a sort of post me too culture, we have a very binary idea of power dynamics and it's not always follow falling along one line, right? Like it's not always, okay, the man has the power. It's not, you know, the older person has the power. It's, you know, whatever it may be. But there's usually in a lot of couplings, an understanding and it's not always necessarily romantic. It can also be, you know, in families and friendships and professional environments. There's a really sort of binary idea of this person has the power and this person doesn't. And I think in life, often, um, the the experience of power and who has it and what it's being used for and what it's getting them is very fluid. And it tends to ebb and flow with circumstance, with time, with context, um, and can be sort of in some ways passed back and forth, sometimes intentionally. And and it also can be very blurry. And um, in the case of this novel, so you have one party who is almost two decades younger than the other person, which is clearly puts them at a disadvantage in terms of power, but they're a man. And that's, you know, typically in our society more powerful, but they're, but the other woman is, you know, incredibly professionally accomplished and a mother. So that's, you know, a power dynamic in her favor, but he's also massively wealthy and ha- is world famous, which is a huge level of power, but then she's also independently wealthy. So, you know, it, throughout the novel, there's a lot of really interesting explorations of that power dynamic. And I think what I like, especially about, you know, you mentioned where she's like, well, he's young, he'll get over it, is this idea that in some ways, and, I, you know, this may be reading a bit too much into the text, but I think even in life and experiences, often that is a way to kind of absolve yourself of your own power, is to sort of dismiss the other person um, or assume that something that they have uh, or don't have is going to sort of make things easier for them or define their experience in some way. You know, I think it's an easy way for an older person in a relationship to kind of shrug off responsibility is to highlight the fact that a younger person, while they have more time to rebound, society will be kinder to them, whatever it may be. Um, You know, and, and in some ways it made her character less likable, but I think more real and more true to how power is experienced. And I really do think that the volley that she experiences that we experience through her eyes of feeling at one, you know, there are times at which she feels like completely intoxicated by him. And like, she has to do everything that he wants and almost embarrassed because she's so overwhelmed by her good fortune, essentially being with him to feeling embarrassed by him and feeling like he's got to get it together. And like, why is he acting up in front of my colleagues? And both can be true and both I think are very accurate representations of power dynamics. Um, 
that do to some extent coincide and overlap with age, but I think they were in, in every case really well done. Oh, I fully agree. I also think there were very much times when you could tell like, oh, this is, this is a very 21 year old thing. Like, like um, he has this policy in the book of like not talking about his personal life. And when it does come out about their relationship, he doesn't do or say anything except for like, he's like, oh, make sure you have this, make sure you have that. And her husband is the one who is like, this is bullshit, her ex-husband. And I'm like, yeah, this is bullshit. Why aren't you like, like they are, he comforts her daughter, which is a very sweet thing. And I like that, that he like tries to have a relationship with the daughter in like a positive way. But I think we see that it's not going to work out there because he's not like, he's willing to make certain sacrifices. He thinks, I mean, I think ultimately there's no way this relationship could work out the way that it's written. And I kind of like that for the characters because it, it feels honest, but I, I think if anything, like she, I, I like her for what she does at the end more. I, I think that, I think she comes off as more likable because she's protecting herself and her family. Like, I, I think when he says that she, he's, she's letting them like the fans who are like terrible, the quote unquote fans who are terrible to her and to him about their relationship win. I disagree. I think he's being unfair to her because like he's coming at it as like a, not really a solution oriented mindset, like in the world where this would work out, they would both have to make certain sacrifices and he's not even willing to defend her in public. A hundred percent. And I do think there are a lot of moments where you get, you really do feel kind of viscerally embarrassed by some of the stuff that he's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really like that. And I think, I think that's also part of the reason why I, I'm really interested in age gap romances from the woman's perspective where she's the older person, quite frankly, I just, I don't need to read any more stories of an older man with a younger woman. Like, I feel like we, we have enough of that. I've seen it. I've done it. Like it's just not very interesting <laughs> to me. Um, but from the other perspective, like I, I do think that you get this really interesting because I feel like often in more heterosexual, in heterosexual pairings where the man is older, there's kind of the woman's youth and lack of experience and lack of baggage and responsibility and all these things are what is attracting him to her. But in many ways, I feel like a woman, uh, you know, an older woman who is, you know, sorry, there's a siren going by, but an older woman is not like, at least in my experience, is generally not going to be past a certain point, right? Past, you know, a, a, a fun fling is not going to be particularly drawn to someone who kind of lacks, who is super sort of like, doesn't have a lot of responsibility, is very naive, is very innocent, is all of these things. That's not going to be as interesting to her. And so I do think because youth is often really fetishized in our society and really sort of a, a big premium is put on youth, I think there's an interesting angle through an older woman's eyes to see the ways in which youth can be a liability and it can be tedious and it can be kind of draining and all of these other things and where age is actually more appealing. And you, you know, at least I walked away from that feeling like Solène is a more interesting person and someone I would rather hang out with. And I think she's the catch of the two in a lot of ways, you know? Oh, I agree. I mean, I think, 
one of the reasons that I was disappointed by the ending wasn't just because they didn't like end up together and like find a way because I wasn't, I was invested in her happiness, not as much their love story. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. If he makes her happy and like, they can be happy together and she can have like her, her second act, her fuck you to the world. Like that's, that's good for me. But for me, like the fact that it ends in this bleak way of like, he stopped loving me before I stopped loving him. Like, I I would have liked it more if we'd had like kind of an epilogue situation or a, a last chapter situation where she was like in a good place because yeah. to me it, it just kind of comes across as he loved me devastatingly and I didn't get over it for a while like we do get some in the in the text we get some like oh you know it it was really hard for my daughter later on like foreshadowing stuff but we don't really get a point of her being like at peace with how the relationship ends and like in a good place to either be like, I'm going to focus on my career or I'm going to find an age appropriate stage. Good. Like a nice single dad who has like a good business and wants to be a partner. Like you don't get yeah. that sense of evolution. But I think that that's true to life, right? Like I think that that's often how things go. It doesn't wrap up super neatly. And I think what I take away from it is that this is a person who now is moving through the world with a level of confidence and validation that was never available to them before, you know? And that I think is in and of itself a massive gift to, you know, any person. And obviously for the vast majority of human beings on this planet, that is not going to manifest in having a torrid affair with, you know, a 21 year old, pop star from England, like, obviously, that's not what's going to happen. But I do think for a lot of people, there are these experiences that happen sometimes later in life, where it's not so much about it working out or being able to have it as being able to know that you could have it or that it was available to you or that you were affirmed by it. And I think even for someone, let's say, who's married, um, happily, you know, or isn't looking or isn't single or whatever the case may be, even having someone be attracted to you and maybe make a, make an overture at you or, um, you know, validate you in some way. I think that is sort of also that same level of, I don't need to have it forever or even to have it at all necessarily to draw the confidence and, the change in perspective of knowing that it was available to me or that I was affirmed in that way. And I think that that's personally what I took from it is that that aspect of it can be in many ways just as fulfilling and life-changing as finding the quote-unquote sort of forever person. Yeah, and I think one of the scenes that really appealed to me, like, on the idea of what you were saying about, like, feeling wanted and feeling, like, sexually empowered by being desired, which I think we get a lot of weird, like, messaging about, you should feel sexually empowered just because you think you're sexy. I'm like, there's nothing wrong with wanting someone to think you're sexy. Um, right. There's a there's a really weird pressure on women in particular to be, like, to create self-confidence in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And I... Personally, I have to say this is a bit of a digression, but that is one of the things that I think frustrates me the most about sort of the self-care, body positive, kind of you-go-girl messaging that we've been getting for the past 10 years, is that I think it's very 
naive and for most people nearly impossible to create self-confidence in a vacuum and for yourself. At least speaking for myself, even when we set aside like the sexual aspect of it or the physical aspect or the appearance aspect of it, if you're looking at what self-confidence is, you know, you get it from accomplishing things that are meaningful to you. You get it from, you know, committing to things and seeing them through. You get it from forming meaningful relationships of all kinds with people and giving and receiving that affirmation, platonic, romantic, and otherwise. You know, self-confidence comes from having reasons to be confident in yourself. And I do think that there can be, to some extent, a sort of interrogation about, you know, finding things to love in yourself and affirming what is valuable in you and trying to cut out some of the noise about where you may not be, quote unquote, good enough. But I also think that, you know, for someone to, for example, feel romantically confident or sexually confident, it's going to be damn hard for them to do that if they never have anyone to experience any of those things with or who affirm them or who uh, drive their confidence from, you know, the outside. And I think that's going to be very unrealistic. And I think it's a really, really high bar to set on women to sort of suggest to them that it's their job to give themselves confidence. And I think that it's totally right and fair to explore the idea of, yeah, you could be a woman who's very attractive and accomplished and wealthy and all of these things, but because you're middle-aged, divorced with a kid and single, you may feel not confident at all. And it's not outrageous to think that a person coming along who is considered quite desirable, or at least that you consider desirable, um, and affirming you those things is going to be a lot more effective at boosting that confidence than any number of just like, looking in the mirror and saying like, hell yeah, you go girl. Oh yeah. I think we have, I mean, I think that a lot of like internet movements tend to commodify this language of like self-help. I think almost all self-help is bullshit. Um, I know this isn't like a popular thing to say. It's all just scams. Like I don't know anything about Brene Brown, but I see her books a lot at work. I'm a librarian. Um, And like whenever I see a book that's like really popular in self-help, I side-eye it a lot. Like, Rachel Hollis, I saw that shit coming. Because, like, none of it's real. None of it's real. It's all fake. Like, it's it's all all fake. And it's... The thing about it is that, like, either it's coming from people who already have many of the material things that one would need to be confident. Like, they're financially secure and they're conventionally attractive. And, you know, they're white and they're able-bodied and they're validated by society at every level. Like they already have all of the things on paper that lead to confidence um, or that are validated by society. Um, In which case it's like, yeah, of course you're great at this. Like you're everything that, you know, society tells us that we should aspire to be. Or alternatively, like it's advice that is so general as to often become meaningless and what is effective for people is going to be much more individualized and is not going to be something again that be can, that can be created in a vacuum. And I think even when you see these people who aren't like privileged in every way, like I read, um, well, I listened to Shonda Rhimes's book here of yes. And no one mm-hmm. would say she's intrinsically privileged. She's a black woman in the entertainment industry. That's gotta be fucking difficult. Even when you're like at the top of the industry, like she is like, she had to leave. She had a beef with Disney because they disrespected her. And like, a, I don't know if you've heard about this. Mm -mm. Um, 
So she basically requested Disney tickets at some point, and they were just like, haven't you got enough? Like, to Shonda Rhimes! Like, don't... As if she hasn't made them enough money. Don't kill the goose that lays the golden eggs! Like, don't be stupid! Like, they wouldn't do that to any man, let alone any white man. Like, can you imagine? And so I I listened to her book, which, because I thought I heard it was really amazing. And I'm like, and the main thesis was that, like, she was getting in her own way by, like, saying no to things. And I'm just like, this is not actionable advice to anyone but Shonda Rhimes. Because, like, I can't say yes to being at the Emmys. I'm a librarian in $40,000 of student debt with a podcast that, like, a couple people listen to and a YouTube channel talking about anti-Semitism. I don't have, like, <laughs> I don't think what is this supposed to do for me? And I liked her book. It was interesting. I think you can get something, if you can get something out of self-help that, like, motivates you and makes you want to grind, like, if that's something you can do. But, like, people who are disabled, like, I have a really close friend who has cerebral palsy, and she can't say yes to everything because a lot of buildings are ADA non-compliant. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I also think that, like, again, to take it back to the book, what I really enjoy is the idea that for all of the things that should make us happy or should make us feel a certain way, sometimes the things that are actually going to come along and really change us and really make us feel differently about ourselves are not going to be the things that are expected to, you know, you can have a great career Mm -hmm. or you can have financial security or you can have, you know, certain, you know, physical beauty and still not feel great. And sometimes it is another person validating you that's going to change things. And that's okay. I feel like we often get down on people, especially women for it's like, well, why do you need someone to be whole? And it's like, well, not I don't necessarily need someone to be whole. But it feels good to have someone care about you and someone validate you. And, and that's okay. And I really like seeing it in the context of this is great. And this is affirming. And this is something that can be necessary without it needing to be like, and that's the rest of my life, you know, I agree. I think I really dislike the the line of thinking like, oh, you don't you don't need someone like a romantic partner to make you whole because it's like, I mean, I do need a support system. Do you think that just because I, I'm like an independent person who can take care of myself, like it's, you just follow the thing. Oh, you don't need parents. You're an adult. Oh, you don't need a family. You don't need you don't need a, 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 a like a, a best friend to emotionally support you. Like my partner isn't just here to provide me social value to prove that I'm worth something as a woman because I attracted a man. Like, exactly. he has value as a part of my life that, like, is completely, like, I-, I couldn't quantify it if I wanted to. Exactly. And I think that, like, I definitely don't think we should, as as you said, like, it doesn't have to be your whole life. Like, and I also think that part of the the idea of this book is that, like something that's that you that you really makes you feel good and makes you happy isn't always necessarily like good for you. Like it's kind of like there's like the relationships that are kind of the cake of your life. Like oh, this makes me feel really good and I really enjoy it, but it's not for all the time. Like this is not going to be the rest of my life, but for right now it's really good and important and it will serve an important purpose to me. Exactly. Yeah, I think like there isn't there was a really heavy level of disrespect for like the kind of transitory relationships that aren't like and that's what I like happy for now stories there are some mm-hmm. romance books that are like this is just a collection of stories or this is like a, a longer longer like novel like story about a couple that like 
they don't know if they want to be together forever or they're too young to make that decision. That's one of the reasons I love YA books that like don't have like an epilogue. It's like 10 years later, we were happily married with our five-year-old, you know, like I like YA books for that kind of romance because if they're like settling down with someone at like 17, it's too young. Like, like you don't know. Yeah, I, don't, gonna... I don't need to hear about that. <laughs> I don't need, like I've read one YA book where there was like, um, they were, well, first of all, they were in their like early twenties. Like they were like 19, 20, like, you know, so they, they were already like kind of becoming the people they were going to be. So I wasn't like mad at it, but generally speaking with like young adult and new adult fiction, which is an emerging, like, you know, group, like new adult, like people between like the ages of, I'd say like 22 and, and 25, like, I'm totally happy with a happy for now, even for characters who are older, just because like the fun part is the falling in love part. Like the, the being a part of somebody else's life, like getting to know the other person and like watching the characters kind of like be something important to each other. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that's one of the reasons I really enjoyed like the process of reading this book because like, as a couple, I don't think that they fully work. And I think that if, I think it's one of those couples that like, you know, those people who it's like, oh, if you two lived in the same city, you would last a week kind of situation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like the reason that their relationship lasts so long is partially because of like the yearning of it and the being apart. Um, And I mean, everybody, you know, someone who's had a long distance relationship where it's like, oh, you two really only do work because you don't see each other that often. (laughs) But I think um it's a really like for for what she was trying to go for i think it really works so i did enjoy the book there are parts of it that i would criticize but i mean that's with every title so thank you so much for joining us and i hope we'll see you again sometime around the community thank you so much for having me and i am looking forward to being back and where can people find you um just chelsea fagan and the financial diet wherever you know the fine purveyors of social media are (laughs) fine purveyors Uh, debatable (laughs) but thank you so much and thank you for making time for us bye-bye thank you bye-bye